One of the key training camp battles for the Falcons this summer will be for the vacant nickel cornerback spot. And we'll talk about why this young core at cornerback, including A.J. Terrell and Jeff Okuda, could be the strength of the Falcons' defense for years to come. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So you guys know me, I'm Aaron Freeman, a.k.a. Mr. Drew, a.k.a. Sirius Black, and the very humble host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta podcast family, your team every day. And we thank each and every one of you guys that makes this illustrious podcast your first listen. Follow in the footsteps of our everydayers by subscribing or following for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts so guys we are continuing our series of positional breakdowns ahead of falcons training camp which we're you know a little less than a week away from rookies reporting and then a week from then or veterans will be reporting and today we'll be talking about the cornerback position and we'll actually be talking about a legitimate competition uh this training camp it's been a weird summer breaking down all these positions where we kind of know most of the roster spots are, are not really that much up for grabs i was doing the math this morning and i would sit here and tell you that there's probably like 43 spots that are pretty much locked up assuming guys can stay healthy and whatnot that are relatively safe to make the team leaving only about 10 roster spots up for grabs and I don't, you know, there's a couple of spots we'll t get to later on today's episode at the cornerback position, like maybe one, maybe two spots up for grabs uh, on this roster. But we will actually have a legit competition this summer at this position. There aren't that many, um, you know, especially at the, in the starting lineup. It's basically left guard and nickel cornerback where the expectation is that you have vacant starting spots that would be competition. So let's talk about that nickel cornerback spot. There's three prime candidates based off what we know. Mike Hughes, D. Alford, Clark Phillips, and we've gone through different cycles this offseason about who's sort of the favorite to win that nickel cornerback spot when the Falcons initially signed Mike Hughes in March. I think most people were pointing at him being the favorite to win that competition. And then when the Falcons drafted Clark Phillips in April, then I think a lot of people pointed to him having, you know, that being his job to lose that starting slot corner nickel cornerback spot to replace Isaiah Oliver. And now we're in July and the buzz emerging out of June OTAs and mini camps is that is in fact D Alford that has sort of taken the league and it's now his job to lose. And that, that kind of feels the way I personally think it should be right. You know, when we've talked about Mike Hughes in the past, we've talked about how historically speaking, uh, as he's bounced around the league, you know, the Falcons being the fourth team now that he's been in the league since being a first round pick back in 2018, you know, he's mostly struggled when he's been asked to play in the slot versus playing on the outside. I think really Mike Hughes's value is being in a capable outside backup corner that if you need to in a pinch can jump inside and be, you know, effective. But I don't know if playing inside in that slot role is really the ideal, the first option, given his overall body of work. And I've described Mike Hughes in the past watching his film in Detroit this past year. He kind of reminds me a lot of Darren Hall. And we'll talk a little bit more about Darren Hall's issues a little bit later in the episode. But basically, 
the player that I think the Falcons want Darren Hall to be is kind of what I think Mike Hughes is. And I think the thing that Mike Hughes has going for him in this competition and moving forward with the Falcons is his experience relative to guys like Clark Phillips and, and D. Alford, as well as Mike Hughes's physicality, right? That when we talk about the nickel cornerback position, that is a position that has to be at the very least functional in run support, if not very good in run support because of, you know, what happens in the nickel where you take a linebacker off the field for your base defense and that lightens the box and that suddenly makes you a little bit more vulnerable to the run. So if your nickel cornerback cannot contribute in that capacity, you know, that could be a problem. And, you know, Isaiah Oliver was very good in that arena. And so the hope is that whoever replaces him will also be very good in that arena. And, you know, I don't know if that's Clark Phillips, right? That, you know, with Clark Phillips, I went into my film study wanting to like him more, and I just wasn't that impressed watching his film at Utah. I think he has a, the mentality. I think he has the intangibles. I think he has the instincts that you really like at the cornerback position, but I'm not sure outside of that he's bringing a whole lot. And it doesn't mean that what he is bringing, those things are meaningless. It's just, you know, from the neck down, I don't know if I love Clark Phillips as much as maybe other people do, right? And you know, that ability and run support to me was what really stood out watching the film where he, you know, he was very limited there because of poor tackling technique and and, and want to, right? Um, you know, I saw a player also when it came to coverage that may have a little bit of a lower ceiling in man coverage uh, comparative to how much man coverage we're expecting the Falcons to play. Now, we don't know exactly how much that is, but the expectation, I think it's, clear indicators and, and pretty safe to assume that we'll see more man coverage with Ryan Nielsen as the defensive coordinator than we saw, you know, consistently with Dean Pease, right? There were points over the last two years where the Falcons leaned into their man coverage under Dean Pease, but for the most part, you would say that they were much more of a zone forward type of defense. And I think we'll see more man coverage, whether or not they're going to be as man heavy as the Saints have historically been where Nielsen is coming from remains to be seen. But I certainly think they will be moving more in that direction than where they have been the last couple of years. And I don't know if Phillips really is going to be the type of player that is going to shine in that role. And because of that and spending a lot of time talking about what Clark Phillips isn't, you know, my evaluation of him in that scouting report earlier this offseason came off as very negative, and I understand that. But it's mostly due to that narrative going into watching his film, you know, with the narrative that, oh, Clark Phillips was this like second round talent that fell to round four and is one of the bigger steals of the draft. And watching the film, I'm like, no, I think he probably should have been drafted in the fourth round all along. To me, he's kind of a fourth round talent. Right. But the thing that Clark Phillips has going for him is that draft pedigree that even as a fourth round pick, you know, the team does have a vested interest in seeing him succeed an, an interest that we've seen play out the last couple of years with Darren Hall. And again, we'll talk a little bit more about where Darren Hall is at, at this point. Certainly, he will get opportunities because the team has used that draft capital on him. But, you know, moving to the third candidate, we have D. Alford, right? And normally, you, you hear me constantly say on these episodes, like, I don't necessarily have a horse in a race, but I kind of do with D. Alford. I'm kind of rooting for D. Alford to win that job. Like, when we signed Hughes back in March, I was like, yeah, I think Alford still should be the guy over Mike Hughes. And now, after watching the film of, of Clark Phillips, I feel like, yeah, Alford still should be the guy. And I think of this group, he probably has... The, the cleanest 
evaluation, the cleanest tape or whatever. He's arguably the best man coverage corner of these three guys based off of my film study. And he was also really good in zone. He was arguably the best zone corner based off of my charting last year. You look at the PFF grades in man versus zone last year as well. He was the highest graded zone corner for the Falcons last year, according to PFF. So he's also probably... He's not quite on the level of, of Mike Hughes as in run support, but I think he's ahead of Clark Phillips, right? Alfred's not the biggest guy, but I don't think he's really making business decisions when it comes to run support like a certain someone did at Utah uh, these last couple of years. So I feel like Alfred is a, a step in the right direction, not only in coverage, but also when it comes to, to run support. And so, you know, we'll see how it plays out. These battles are often hard to predict because, you know, injuries do play a factor. If someone pulls a hammy or something and misses two weeks of practice, that pretty much, you know, eliminates them from the competition, right? Um, and so that's going to definitely have an impact on who winds up winning the job and how guys are going to perform in, in not only practice daily in training camp, in the preseason games, but also we got joint practices coming up, right? You know, you could come out the first two weeks of training camp, look really good, be the front runner. Maybe that's the Alford, but then we go to down to Miami and Tyreek Hill cooks you on those two days of joint practices. And all of a sudden it changes the math on that. So that's going to be a factor as well. So we'll see how it all plays out. You know, we saw last summer with the center competition, you know, it go all the way through the end of training camp to the point that we were the week of week one, you know, that that Monday of week one, we didn't know who was going to be the starting center uh, come Sunday. So, you know, it's clearly indicating that this coaching staff is going to take their time. Right. It's not something that they're going to rush that decision. So I think there will be opportunities for all three of these guys to sort of emerge as that week one starter at the nickel cornerback position throughout the summer so you know it's it's, it's going to be a long time potentially before that fat lady sings or you know it may basically be you know d alford goes down to miami and locks down tyreek hill in two days of practice and it's like okay well he's good to go so we'll see how it all plays out guys uh but you know it's certainly a situation where if it is a close competition in training camp you know just because a guy wins the starting spot come week one doesn't mean he's going to retain that for the entire season, right? Because you got later in the season, you got Amon Ross St. Brown, you got Christian Kirk, some good slot receivers coming up. And, and if that guy struggles during that stretch of games, you know, they might, you know, pull the, the plug on that guy and go with whoever was the runner up in training camp. So we'll see if it's a close battle throughout training camp. And of the three, as I said, I think Alfred has probably the best all around skill set. But of course, we'll see if that manifests itself, you know, daily in practices at training camp. And now that we've discussed the nickel cornerback spot, let's talk about the two starting cornerbacks for the Falcons. And it's kind of a make or break year for both AJ Terrell and Jeff Akuda when it comes to, you know, them being primed for big paydays after this season. And we'll break down why I think they can succeed in order to earn those big paydays as we continue today's Locked on Falcons. Our partners over at eBay Motors have teamed up with Locked On Fantasy Football host Vinny Iyer to bring you some of the best fantasy picks each week all season long. Whether you're prepping for the draft or scouting the waiver wire, every week we're going to provide you with players that are guaranteed to fit on your roster. And so with draft prep underway for this upcoming season, let's talk about who Vinny has picked out for us in this week's eBay's Guaranteed Fit 
fantasy picks of the week. And yesterday we talked about Christian McCaffrey as a prime candidate for your number one overall selection. And today we'll talk about another guy in Justin Jefferson, who we'll talk about a little bit later on today's episode when we talk about the Falcons cornerbacks matching up. But Jefferson makes a ton of sense as that guaranteed fit to go number one, because over the past two seasons, he's led the league in both receptions, receiving yards. He will remain a dominant number one receiver and target monster so he is a guaranteed fit to ignite the rest of your fantasy football lineup towards winning success and with Vinny Iyer of Locked On Fantasy Football is helping us win our fantasy championship eBay Motors knows that a championship team is about each player being that perfect fit same with your vehicle with eBay's guaranteed fit in over 122 million parts and accessories for your vehicle right at your fingertips you can make sure that your ride stays running smoothly air filters brakes batteries taillights alternate shock struts you name it ebay motors has it and they'll make sure it's the right fit for your car because ebay guaranteed because ebay's guaranteed fit helps you understand exactly what part you need for your vehicle the first time so go forth switch gears and crank the ac and say goodbye to sweating if your ride needs a little fixing up because now you'll know you'll always be set up for success from the get-go with ebay guaranteed fit everything your vehicle is calling for is just a click away for the parts and accessories that fit your vehicle just look for the green check get the right parts the right fit the right prices at ebaymotors.com let's ride eBay guarantee fit only available to us customers eligible items only exclusions apply. So this is a make or break year in some ways for both AJ Terrell and Jeff Akuda because money is on the line, right? You know, it's about securing that bag, right? In addition to, you know, helping the Falcons win football games, but we've talked a little bit already this summer about AJ's Terrell's potential to get that big payday with another good season uh, following on the heels of his first you know, two years or what, three years now in Atlanta of playing at a really high level. Uh, no, wait, yeah, <laughs> 2020, right? AJ Terrell, 2020. So three years, right? Um, and we talked a little bit about, you know, him being the highest paid corner in the NFL next offseason. And we saw this past offseason, you know, Chris Lindstrom get that big payday coming out of his fourth NFL season. And earlier this offseason, we did ask Josh Kendall of The Athletic, uh, back in March about, you know, after the Falcons paid Chris Lindstrom, you know, if AJ Terrell is kind of the next in line and he's basically said the Falcons weren't there yet with AJ Terrell. And I think, you know, some people heard that and misinterpreted it as if like the Falcons are iffy about AJ Terrell in, their, in his future. It's just, I think the Falcons are just kind of patient wait and see mode because when you're going to back up that brings truck, which potentially we talked with Brad Spielberg of PFF in terms of what AJ Terrell's potential market could be, it's going to be over $20 million. So if you're going to pay anybody, whether it's a quarterback, whether it's a receiver, a corner whatever you're going to pay anybody that type of money you want to be 100 certain about that and i think what josh was indicating was at least as as of this past march the falcons weren't 100 there so i feel personally pretty confident that you know over the next six to nine months you know the falcons will be much closer to that 100 confidence in paying aj terrell we've seen him have some rough games over the last couple of years but, you know, for every bad game that A.J. Terrell has, you know, he has like four or five good ones. And so the good definitely far outweigh the bad. And, you know, his good is kind of extremely good, right? Like best in the cornerback in the NFL, good. And I don't see any reason why we should expect that sort of formula to sort of change with the defensive changes that Ryan Nielsen as the new D.C. is going to implement. And especially when you factor in the hope 
and the optimism that many of us have, myself included, that the Falcons pass rush will at least be league average instead of like the worst historically bad as it has been for the most part the last couple of years. You know, that's going to do wonders for helping everybody out on the back end play better football because they can be more aggressive and be able to make more plays on the ball because they know that that pass rush is going to get home if the quarterback does not get rid of the ball quickly. Not to mention, as we said earlier, you know, we're going to see more man coverage that should enhance AJ Terrell's skills. And last year, we did see some of those issues in the red zone prop up in man coverage. That first Saints game, that Rams game, the 49ers game, those were really the games where we talk about AJ Terrell having rough outings. Those were really it. But outside of those games, between the 20s, he was extremely productive. Now, he was extremely productive in 2021, like best cornerback in the league productive. And we'll see where 2023 fits in that. I'm not expecting him to put up the, the elite numbers in 2021 as he as he did then, but I'm hoping that with the improvements and the better supporting cast, we will see him get much closer to that uh, than he was. Like The reason I say that is just because he was so good in 2021. Like, it's rare to have two years like that in your in the NFL career. Like one year like that is an incredible achievement, let alone two years. But, you know, I'm not going to put anything past AJ Terrell when it comes to that. So if he does, you know, get closer to that 2021 level or exceed that 2021 level, he certainly will be uh, getting a big uh, payday next offseason. Now, Jeff Akuda also is looking to kind of secure the bag this upcoming offseason because unlike AJ Terrell, who is due to that fifth year option, is signed through the 2024 season, Akuda will be a free agent after this year because, you know, his fifth year option was not picked up by either the Lions or the Falcons. And <clears throat> I don't think as much money is on the line for Jeff Akuda as it is for AJ Terrell, but he is in line to get a substantial payday. Like when you look at the high end number two corners in the NFL, Jamel Dean, James Bradbury, those guys are making over 12 million a year. So I feel like that's, you know, potentially an option for Jeff Akuda next year. And like, even though Jeff Akuda was, you know, one of the highest drafted cornerbacks ever with that number three overall selection, that same draft class as AJ Terrell back in 2020, you know, I don't think people should go into the season expecting that, Jeff Akuda as this quote unquote reclamation project is going to reach those heights that led to him being drafted that high. I think instead what you're hoping for Jeff Akuda is that he can look like a Jamel Dean or James Bradbury as one of the better number two corners in the league. I think that's a realistic expectation based off of what he has put out there in Detroit. I think the film suggests that he should be successful. Detroit did play is, is a derivative of the Saints defensive scheme with Aaron Glenn being the defensive coordinator there, just like Ryan Nielsen, you know, bringing that Dennis Allen scheme. So there should be familiarity with the scheme, which I think is one of the reasons why the Falcons think this is a good bet as a reclamation project. And you guys know I constantly rally against reclamation projects, but I feel like this is the kind of the exception to the rule where for those reasons, this is why Jeff Okuda is a good bet. We saw flashes of really good play, especially early in the season. Things got a little bit more inconsistent as the season wore on, but hopefully we can get more of early 2022 Jeff Kuda than late 2022 Jeff Kuda this season throughout the year. And, you know, I think this scheme is going to allow him to be very effective, right? Now, they're going to play a lot of man coverage. It's going to allow him to be very aggressive at, at the line of scrimmage, be that physical player that Jeff Akuda is, play a lot of press coverage, be that physical run defender. You know, I think Zeke Elliott still has nightmares for how many times Jeff Akuda popped him in that Cowboys game last year. But you saw playing Jeff Justin Jefferson against the Vikings early in that season. Uh, and Jefferson had his worst game because basically what the Lions did was say, okay, Akuda, 
Anything under five yards, I want you to mug. I want you to commit assault against Justin Jefferson because you know you have that safety help over the top. And I feel like the Falcons, with the addition of Jesse Bates, with Richie Grant on the back end, will be able to ask Jeff Okuda to play a similar style, and that should allow him to put his best foot forward. And it'll be interesting to see how the Falcons match up with the Vikings specifically because, you know, Justin Jefferson is arguably the best receiver in the league. You know, do they as A.J. Terrell, their ace, to sort of shadow him throughout the game? Or, you know, do they feel comfortable enough with both Akuda and Terrell, you know, on one side of the field, parking on one side of the field, with that safety help to basically say either side, we are good with those guys going up against one of the premier receivers like a Justin Jefferson. Obviously, you know, we don't play the Vikings till November, so there will be plenty of games to basically figure that out with those guys. But, you know, there's also a number of other good number one receivers that the Falcons will face throughout the season. Terry McLaurin, Calvin Ridley, you know, the, the Bucks receivers and Mike Evans and Godwin, the Saints guys and Thomas and Olave, Garrett Wilson, DJ Moore, et cetera. So I'll be curious to see, you know, if Ryan Nielsen, you know, depending on how, you know, Terrell and Okuda play, you know, does Nielsen go with the shadow corner or does he park these guys on either side of the field? The Saints have done both historically, so there's nothing to really say they're going to do this because the Saints did it or whatnot. So that would be interesting. But we, we could be looking at a situation like right now, I think Terrell and Akuda's combined cap hits are about $8 million. And, and you know, this is not going to be their cap hit. But, you know, if they both get paid next offseason, we could be talking about upwards of like $35 million a year to both of these guys if both of these guys, I think, hit their stride. And that may make them among the highest paid corners in the league. I think currently Jalen Ramsey and Xavier Howard are combining to make about $38 million a year with the Dolphins. But, you know, that could put them in the top two or three. And so you potentially, and if they earn those paydays, you know, we're talking about the Falcons having one of the premier cornerback duos in the league for the foreseeable future just because of how young A.J. Terrell and Jeff Okuda are. A.J. Terrell is going to turn 25 in September. Jeff Okuda doesn't turn 25 until next February. And so theoretically, you know, three to five years of these guys locking down either side of the field so you know when you look at that best case scenario of these guys turning into that premier cornerback duo you you know you get excited about that now alternatively you also have you know a worst case scenario where aj terrell's maybe a little bit more up and down than i'm expecting him to be and jeff akuda struggles and all of a sudden the falcons are you know deferring their decision to make aj terrell one of the highest paid cornerbacks you know by punting that to another year because they want to you know, wait until he's coming off a, a good year and or, you know, with Akuda, if he struggles or whatever, the Falcons are now shopping for another number two corner. But we'll see how that plays out. I'm optimistic. You know, you know, we've turned a new leaf here on the podcast where we'd rather spend more time talking about how things will go right than versus things go wrong. So we'll see how that all plays out. But those two guys, along with the three guys in the mix at the nickel cornerback position, are the five corners that are very likely to make the roster locks or near locks to make the team. But what about the rest of this cornerback room? And we'll talk about Darren Hall and the potential that he is on the bubble as we wrap up today's Locked On Falcons. So wrapping up today's Locked On Falcons, before we get there, guys, I do want to give a shout out to the everydayers that tune in each and every day. And of course, if you tune in tomorrow, we'll be breaking down the rest of the Falcon secondary at the safety position. So make sure you continue to make Locked On Falcons your first listen. But when we talk about the rest of the Falcons cornerback room, you know, we're mostly talking about Darren Hall and Trey Flowers and Cornell Armstrong as the guys that could be competing for a sixth, possibly seventh cornerback spot. There's no offense to the undrafted free agents like Natron Brooks and Clifford Chapman. 
But I think both of those guys, best case scenario, is being a practice squad player, and we'll see if those guys can make an impression to stick there. But if you saw my last most recent 53-man roster projection from last month, I did project the Falcons to keep seven corners, right? I had both Darren Hall and Trey Flowers making it as the sixth and seventh corner, right? Hall, mostly because of his draft status, sort of being his saving grace and flowers mostly because of his special teams ability being what his role is going to be. And talking about Darren Hall, we've talked, you know, this week and previously when we were breaking down the offensive players about several of those 2021 draft picks potentially being on the roster bubble heading into this summer, Frank Darby, Jalen Mayfield, Adi Ogundeji, and Darren Hall is also on that list because all of those guys did not show the desired year two jump that you're looking for from guys from year one to year two right now at least with Jalen Mayfield he has the excuse that he was hurt last year so that's part of the reason why he didn't make that jump uh and while Hall did have some moments last year so he did have some positive moments you know you know mostly his positive moments came when he was playing opposite Cornell Armstrong in the middle of the season when both AJ Terrell and Casey Hayward were hurt and then once Terrell came back right you know, Hall really <laughs> struggled, you know, all of a sudden he was the guy getting picked on, right? It was Cornell Armstrong that was getting picked on during that stretch when they were both starters. And then once AJ Terrell came back, teams were like, Oh, we're not throwing at AJ Terrell. Well, let's throw it at Darren Hall and Darren Hall really struggled. And we talked about this late last season where Dean Pease had a presser where he talked about how, you know, you can find a player that is lights out in practice because there are less stakes involved. But then once he gets in the game, plays a lot more tentative. And I speculated you know, is he sort of secretly talking about Darren Hall or not so secretly talking about Darren Hall? Because you saw Darren Hall, particularly down the stretch, be a lot more tentative, giving up too much cushion in his coverage. And I was wondering if that's who Dean Pease was talking about, because we, we saw Cornell Armstrong after struggling in the middle of the season, sort of overtake Darren Hall down the stretch and get more reps over Darren Hall. And, and they actually played much better than Darren Hall did down the stretch. And so I think for Darren Hall this summer, he's going to have to go out there, whether, you know, it's a lack of trust or whatever, he's going to have to go out there and play and re-earn this coaching staff trust because all the turnover that the Falcons have had at the cornerback position, because, you know, once upon a time when we drafted Darren Hall, it was like, oh, he's going to be the nickel cornerback. And all of a sudden now the Falcons have three guys ahead of him at that position, uh, which is going to relegate him to a sort of backup outside uh, cornerback. And so, you know, the thing that's also going to hurt Darren Hall when it comes to, you know, landing one of these roster spots is he's not going to really add a whole lot on special teams in terms of his value there. So, you know, even if he does make the team, you know, as a sixth or seventh cornerback, you know, there's a good chance that we may see Darren Hall inactive, you know, throughout most of this season. So we'll see how that all plays out, you know, and I think the fact that Hall doesn't have that special teams value does help a player like Trey Flowers, who I think is limited as a corner. You know, if you don't recall, Trey Flowers was a college safety that the Seahawks tried to convert into a cornerback, didn't quite work, moved on to Cincinnati. They kind of had him as a more hybrid safety, tight end eraser type of player due to his size and his length, which I think is ideally suited for his skill set. He's more of a guy rather than a, you know, top three corner. He's more of a, like a dime defender that you can put on tight ends rather than asking him to play on the outside as a corner. But the thing that Troy Flowers really brings to the table is his value on special teams. He's a very good gunner on punt coverage, right? And with the injury to Avery Williams and with the loss and departure of Mike Ford, you know, there is a vacancy opposite Kadero Hodge as the gunner on the punt team. 
And I think Flowers' body of work in both Cincinnati and Seattle suggests that he should be the front runner to win that gunner spot. And I think that's going to help him make a roster spot. And if push comes to shove and the Falcons only keep six corners instead of the seven I previously projected, I do think that special teams value is going to be the tiebreaker in favor of a Trey Flowers versus a Darren Hall. As I said, like, you know, Darren Hall's not really adding a whole lot to the lineup that I don't think Mike Hughes is already bringing, but Trey Flowers brings much needed size, you know, in addition to Jeff Akuda uh, that can also match up with tight ends. Uh, but can't forget Cornell Armstrong, who was up and down last year, as I suggested, but he finished strong. And I, the one thing I will say about Cornell Armstrong, he is confident. He plays with the amnesia that you need as a cornerback in the NFL, he'll get burnt one play and then he'll make a great play on the ball. He broke up seven passes last year. And despite the fact that he was limited in terms of playing time relative to other guys, that's that was tied for second on the team behind AJ Terrell last year. And so based purely off his coverage ability, you can make an argument at least based off of his, you know, this past season that hall, I mean that Armstrong is got a leg up over guys like Trey flowers and, and Darren hall when it comes to coverage ability. So it would not completely shock me if Cornell Armstrong winds up being that sixth cornerback over those two guys, if he could continue that this summer. But, you know, again, I think the special teams ability that Flowers brings and the draft pedigree that Hall brings is probably going to break a tie when it comes to that. So I do put Cornell Armstrong behind the eight ball. So overall, the competition, you know, at Cornerback is, is going to be thick, not only for the nickel cornerback spot, but also some of these back in roster spot, because I do expect the Falcons to keep at least six cornerbacks, uh, possibly seven. And you're also going to have a very competitive season in addition to a competitive summer, because there's a lot on the line for guys like AJ Terrell and, and Jeff Okuda. And again, you know, this could be the beginning of several years of very strong secondary play for the Atlanta Falcons. Right. If if those guys and, and the nickel live up to the billing or, you know, if they if those guys don't, you know, the Falcons could be going back to the drawing board next offseason to try to readdress the situation. So, again, as we say, what could go right for the Falcons? This could be a strength of the Falcons defense for many years to come. And relatively speaking, one of the strongest units in the NFL, if certain guys live up to their potential with the pedigree that the Falcons have. And we talk compared to the linebacker position that we talked about last yesterday, which was. You know, Falcons haven't really had great linebacker play over the last decade or more. I think the secondary has consistently been uh, the strength of the Falcons defense over the years relative to other units. We're hoping that one day, one day, just maybe, right? The defensive line will also be in the mix at some point. But, you know, I think we're we're getting there. We'll We'll see how it all plays out. But we'll talk maybe a little bit more about sort of, you know, the strength of the Falcons defense in the, in the secondary and how it figures uh, in, in into the future when we break down the safeties on tomorrow's Lockdown Falcons. So continue to make this podcast your first listen. And for your second listen, of course, check out the Locked On NFL podcast, the ATL Day Ones, Locked On Sports Atlanta, Braves, Bulldogs, Hawks, all that and more, all part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.